Well, this morning we were considering David and his experience in fleeing to Gath. And so this evening we consider David's reflections on that experience in Psalm 34. So let's turn to Psalm 34 and let us hear the living word of the living God. And the title tells us of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Well, if you could turn back to Psalm 34. And we'll consider... The whole psalm this evening, but just to read again verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Well, how would you address God if you were on the run for your life? If the king was hunting you down with all the resources of the state bearing down on you, if you had just been reduced to feigning madness before the enemies of God's people in order to eke out 
another day of life? If that was you, then I'm not sure that praising God would be particularly high on your agenda. But this psalm tells us how David responded to exactly that situation. We're told in the title, this psalm is of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. And without that title, I doubt we would tie this psalm to David in all of his needs and distress. And yet, this is the man, and this is the situation that produces a psalm so full of praise and comfort. And for us, as we close out another year, I hope that we can take this psalm as our closing words for 2023. Whether our year has brought joy or whether our year has brought sadness, this is a psalm as David says in verse 1, for all times. And it is a psalm for us at the changing of the years. The psalm itself is presented as, in Hebrew, an acrostic psalm. That's to lend an aid to memorization, highlighting that this is a psalm which we should have fixed in our minds and in our hearts. And the psalm itself splits easily into two sections, and we'll look at them as our two headings this evening. First, the first ten verses, reasons to praise God. And then, verses 11 to 22, a life of fearing God. Reasons to praise God and a life of fearing God. First then, reasons to praise God. As we begin this psalm, David has a pretty fixed purpose. He says, I will bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David's response to the circumstances of his life is no accident. He has this determined purpose that whatever is going on round about him, he will be found praising his God. And David says, I am going to do as I intend. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in God. As he has purposed in his heart, so he does. And David, boasting in God, has a positive effect on others. Here is a man suffering great distress. And yet he is praising his God. And so, verse 2, let the humble hear and be glad. When God's people see someone who is enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, when we see someone praising God at all times, then it makes the rest of God's people glad. It lifts our spirits to see the spirit at work in someone suffering and yet praising God. And David, knowing how seeing other believers praise God is an encouragement, verse 3, he goes on to call 
everyone to join in this song of praise with him. He doesn't want to be alone in his praise of God. So he says, let us exalt his name together. But David, the psalmist, with all that he has gone through, knows that it is not an easy thing to bless God at all times. And so he goes on to give six motives, six reasons to stir up our hearts to join him in praising God at all times. And these reasons are given in verses 4 to 10, and we'll just run through them now. One motive David gives us to join him in praising God is that God hears prayer. We have that in verse 4a. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Verse 6a. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Now remember, David has entangled himself in a pattern of sin. David has deceived Saul via Jonathan. And he has deceived the high priest in his story of being on a secret mission for Saul. At least in part, David finds himself in the distress that he is in because of his own sin. And yet, heaven is still open to David. The throne of grace is there for him with grace and mercy to help in time of need. David, in all his sin, when he sought God, he answered me. The Lord heard him. And it will be the same for us. If we're ending this year in a mess because of sin, we don't clean ourselves up first and then turn to God. We don't make ourselves that little bit better and then ask God to finish the job for us. No, just as David did here, we turn to God as we are and he hears and we praise him for that. Another motive David gives is that God delivers We praise him because he delivers. We have that in verse 4b. And delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6b. And saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7b. And delivers. God delivered David from all my fears. Again, we saw in the morning that David was greatly afraid when he was taken captive in Gath. And humanly speaking, who would not be afraid? A prisoner in the citadel of the enemies of God's people. But when David turned to God, his fears melted away. He was delivered from them. And in their place was a trust in the living God. God delivered David from an internal spirit of bondage to fear. But God also delivered David from the trouble he was in. God God enabled him to escape his captivity in Gath. Yes, David had to take action to be free. He had to humble himself by feigning to be a madman. But that he escaped Gath at all was because God delivered him out of all his troubles. His deliverance 
was from God alone. And notice David's language here. He praises God because all his troubles are gone. Now that isn't true in one sense. David is still on the run. David is still in exile. He's still a long way from being king. But he is found in this one deliverance from captivity in Gath. A picture and a pledge that God will deliver him out of all his troubles. And so we praise God, the deliverer. And then David says, we praise God because he sustains. Verse 5. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The background here must be David's own face. It was not that long ago that David's face was disfigured, full of madness, with spittle running down his beard. But David says here that whatever our outward appearance. God is inwardly sustaining his people, keeping them radiant so that ultimately the faces of God's people will not know shame. David is saying God sustains his people radiant, free from shame until that day when ultimately with radiant faces, We will no longer see in a mirror dimly, but we will see face to face and be like our Savior, radiant and beautiful because we will see him as he is. We praise the God who sustains. But there's more to come. We are to praise God because he is the God who surrounds us. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps round those who fear him. David says we should praise God because he is with his people. Particularly the angel of the Lord, God the Son, is present with his people. And there are all the innumerable angels, ministering spirits who are at the command of God the Son, the angel of the covenant. We are always in the presence of God and his angels. So David, in Gath, a lone fugitive, was not alone at all. God was with him. Innumerable angels surrounded him. As Elisha would later say, there are more who are for us than who are against us. And just as for David, we are never alone. Just as the angel of the covenant surrounded David, so the Lord Jesus Christ has promised, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God the Son will never leave us nor forsake us. David continues, though, to pile up the reasons to praise God. We should praise God because he is the God who protects. 
Verse 8, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. David encourages us to trust in God. Taste and see the goodness of God. Draw near to him. Place your life in the hands of his goodness. And then David says, you will know the blessedness of the God who is a refuge. David knew the danger of the world. He knew its danger as a shepherd when he faced the wild bear and the lion attacking the sheep. He knew the dangers of war, facing down Goliath and then leading Israel in their military escapades against their enemies. He knew the danger of persecution with Saul hunting down his life. But David says, in all of this danger, I have one I can go to who is my safety, my rock, my refuge. I have a safety this world cannot touch. The name of my God is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Come then, David says, under the wings of this God. See for yourself there is a God who protects. That's the call of David. And those who respond to that call will find that reason to praise God because he is the refuge, the God who protects. And David gives one final reason to praise God. God provides. So verses 9 to 10, he says, those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David gives that illustration from nature. The strongest, the most dominant of predators may lack food. The strength of this world, David is saying, cannot secure provision. The most powerful animal can go hungry. But God's people, by contrast, will always have what is good for them. That may not be all that we want or think we need. But it will be all that we truly need. God provides. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good to those who ask him? So David has said, come, join with me in praising God. Because God hears prayer. God delivers, God sustains, God surrounds, God protects, God provides. Will we join with David at the end of this year? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. But having given us these reasons to praise God, David goes on to outline lessons that we should learn. Lessons to learn about a life that fears the God who is worthy to be praised. And we see them in verses 11 to 22. As the man who has responded well to adversity, David is anxious to teach others to do the same. And so he calls verse 11, children, 
listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He, he moves from a psalm of praise to a psalm of teaching. And in telling us the lessons that he has learned from his suffering and praising, David tells us really three things that we should do to live a life that fears God. In response to the greatness of the God who is to be praised, we should live godly lives, verses 11 to 14. We should pray to the God who hears us, verses 15 to 18. And we should trust in God's redemption, verses 19 to 22. So first, let's look at this response of godliness. David asks, verse 12, do you desire a life that is long and good? A phrasing that really means, do you desire to live a life that is under God's presence and blessing? What David says, if you do, devote yourselves to godliness. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There's a a specific instruction here and a general one. The specific instruction concerns the tongue. Evil and deceit must be kept from it. And David here is probably reflecting back on his own conduct. As we saw just before penning the psalm, David has deceived Saul and he has deceived the high priest. David has not kept his tongue from speaking deceit. And so David here acknowledges that if he had used his own tongue more wisely, things perhaps would have been better for him. But then moving away from the specific of the tongue, David generally calls us just turn from evil, leave sin, flee from it, and fill your lives with good. Nature abhors a vacuum. So if we simply try and stop being evil, more evil will just come into our lives. No, our lives are to be filled with good in response to the God who is to be praised. And David highlights particularly here the good of being a peacemaker. Seek peace and pursue it, he says. And again, this probably springs from David's context. Israel as a kingdom is knowing disputes, division, disharmony, rivals, David versus Saul. And so David says, from his own context, if we are to fill our lives with anything that is good, fill it with peacemaking. Not, of course, at the expense of foundational truth, but as much as lies in us, be at peace with all men. It's with good reason, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God to pursue peace, to fill our lives with that good is to show the family characteristic of the Prince of Peace who arises with healing in his wings. So David says to fear God, to respond rightly to the God who is to be praised, pursue godliness. 
And that is as much a New Testament calling as it ever was an Old Testament calling. 1 Timothy 4, train yourselves for godliness. For godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Then David says, learn to pray to God. Verse 15 to 18, and verse 15 is so beautiful. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears toward their cry. We don't need to wonder if God will hear our prayers, if God will understand the circumstances our cries come from. No, God knows the way that we take. His eyes are towards us, watching us, looking after us. And his ears are toward us. They are open, ready to hear our prayers. And so we can be assured, verse 17, that when we utter our cries to God, the Lord hears and delivers out of all our troubles. David is saying, God heard my cries, mired in sin as I was. So everyone learn from that, that God will hear your prayers. And so much of trouble that we have in our lives is because we do not unburden ourselves fully to God. The hymn is right when it says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. But there is a a caveat, and you may have noticed it in verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And what David is saying is that if we have that fixed purpose to remain in sin, if we have that fixed desire to continue on the path of evil, God will not hear. But the comfort is that no matter the extent of our sin, no matter the depths of our misery, there is always that prayer God will hear. Verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So says David, pray in all your sin to God as a broken-hearted, empty-handed sinner, and you will find a ready hearing. Respond to the God who is to be praised with godliness, with prayer. And then David concludes by saying, trust God's redemption. Verses 19 to 22. David doesn't hide the reality of life serving the God who is to be praised. It is, David says, a life of affliction. And these afflictions, verse 19, are many. And yet David says, know that God delivers. And know that God does not allow the afflictions in your life to get to the point where they will break you. Verse 20, in all of these many afflictions, not one of your bones will be broken. Nothing will test you beyond breaking point. 
But in contrast to this, there are those who will not just have broken bones, but who will be utterly overthrown. Verse 21, affliction will slay the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Those who themselves have heaped the many afflictions on the righteous will find that they themselves are overcome by judgment and condemnation. And that is God's warning that those who reject him and his people will at last know everlasting condemnation. But that warning is there for a reason, and that is to call everyone away from that fate and to bring all to trust in God's redemption. Because we end with verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None who take refuge in him will be condemned. So do not be those who know and experience the condemnation of those who hate God. Instead, seek God as your refuge, because those who do will know redemption and have the great promise, none of those will be condemned. And I'm sure when we hear that, our minds go to the great verse in Romans 8. There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And David says, ultimately then, to live a life that fears God is to live a life that has run to the Lord Jesus Christ. To go to him to be delivered from condemnation. But not only does this psalm end by pointing us to freedom from condemnation in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, this whole psalm is about Jesus. And we know this not because all of Scripture is Christ-centered, which it is, but because John 19.36 applies this psalm to Jesus. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his Jesus' bones will be broken. And so, consider this psalm briefly through the lens of Jesus. He, and not David, is the great worship leader of the church. It is Jesus more than any who invites all of us. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It is Jesus more than David who became the poor man who cried to God from the depths and was heard. It is Jesus who knew the presence of an angel to strengthen him in the garden of Gethsemane. Luke 22, there appeared to him an angel from heaven to strengthen him. And it is Jesus who responded to all that God is in his glory with a life of godliness, a life of prayer, and who trusted in his Father's redemption. Perhaps all summed up in Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears and was heard because of his reverence. And to whom was Jesus praying? To him who was able to save him from death.
So, the psalm and all of the reasons it gives us to praise God, and in all that it teaches us about a life that fears God, ultimately says to us, Behold your Savior. This psalm is the song of Jesus Christ before it is our song. So as we close this year, and as we begin another, whatever our circumstances, we have great reasons to praise our God. In Jesus Christ, God hears our prayers. God delivers, God sustains, God surrounds, God protects and provides for us. And in Jesus, we know the strength to respond rightly to the greatness of our God, to live godly in Christ Jesus, to pray in the strength of the intercession of Christ, and to trust in the all-sufficient redemption and deliverance from condemnation that there is in Jesus. Well, may the words of this psalm be ours now and throughout the year that is ahead, so that through all the changing scenes of life, in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. Amen. May God bless to us his word.